last line of that song that you give us healing and grace that our hearts long for. I'm so thankful, Father, that you care for us that much that you know the intimacies of our lives. You care for us. You provide for us. You watch over us. You guide us. You direct us. You give us your word. You give us your spirit. Whereby he teaches us things and brings all things to our remembrance. Everything is about you. Even Jesus said, as recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 15, that without you, we can do nothing. You are all that we have, and we're grateful for that. Lord God, we pray this morning for each and every heart that is here. Heart, some hearts may be discouraged today. Some hearts may be broken today. Some hearts may, and quite often do need to have your touch today. And we pray, O oh God, that you would meet those needs of individuals. No matter where they are, I pray, O oh God, that you would meet them where they are so that you can take them where you want them to go. As we investigate again this letter of James, I ask, Lord, that your word would speak volumes, not this vessel, but your word. For your word is by you and for you. You breathed it into existence using individuals that you influenced so that the words that they wrote are without error. The words they wrote are eternal because Jesus even said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. They're eternal because you, you are eternal. And so as we glimpse again into this letter of James, I pray that our eyes would be enlightened that we can see. Our ears would be engaged that we can hear. Our hearts would be receptive that we can be changed. And that's all through your power, O oh God, and by your Spirit. So may you lead us today. May your words be the words that I share, not my own. And may you be our honored guest. As we enter into your presence, may we fall before your throne. And cry out to you that you alone are worthy. And I pray, O oh God, that today you would be honored in all that we say and do. And we'd be careful to praise you and 
thank you in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. May I ask you all a question? How are you doing today? You all said the same thing. Fine. Sort of like a, a story I heard once of a, of a rich man. Dynamically wealthy. Had no concerns or no cares in the world. Oh, before I begin, excuse me. All of you that are married, you know the look I just got. I forgot something. Yeah, amen, hallelujah, yeah. There will be a woman-to-woman -woman meeting this Tuesday night at 6.30. Don't forget that. The reason you could not have it last week is because the parking lot was being sealed and you would have drug all of that oil into the fellowship hall. Jim Heitzelman would have been at wit's end, and so would your carpet even in your own home. So this week, everything's ready to go for women to women this Tuesday evening. This individual was completely wealthy, no concerns in all of the world. The whole town revered him for his wealth. But even in his garnering of all of his wealth, he still had no place for God. The day came that he took his last breath upon this earth. And according to the arrangements that he made, there was a specific way he was to be buried. It was said that he was to be buried in the back seat of his Rolls Royce with one of his Cuban cigars in his mouth. And occupying around him was all of his trophies of wealth. His car was to be lifted up on a flatbed truck driven to the cemetery and there it was to be lifted and placed in the ground that was prepared for it. As the crane was lifting his vehicle off of the flatbed and swinging it over to the hole that was there, the townspeople were all gathered around and there was someone in the crowd who unmistakably said an unbelievable statement. As the Rolls Royce was, be was being lowered into the ground, this individual yelled out, Man, that's living. The book of James paints it a little bit different than that. But before we get to James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, I want to give you an illustration of what James is talking about from the very illustration that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 12. Turn to Luke chapter 12. There's a lesson here for us that we need to first look at before we get to what James has to say.
In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is busily teaching spiritual truths. And prior to verse 13, Jesus is, is, is again speaking of who he is. And he says in verse 12, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. In other words, when you come before magistrates to give of a witness, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will teach you what you're supposed to say. And then there's someone in the crowd, an individual in the town, and he raises his hand But he's got a physical question, and he says to Jesus these interesting words when he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus is teaching spiritual, and this individual is focused on the physical. And he wants Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. Apparently, that hasn't happened yet. Apparently, someone has has breathed their last breath on this life and has left an inheritance, and this one brother isn't sharing with the other brother. And so this guy goes to the one who he thinks can straighten it all out. And he says to Jesus, you tell my brother that he's got to belly up and give me what I deserve. Jesus answers him back and he says, who made me manager of your family? Who put me in charge of your finances? And then he begins to again speak spiritually. Look at what Jesus said. He, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plenty. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all of my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Did you catch the narrative when this rich individual is saying, my, my, 
my, and he even got to the point of saying to my soul. You understand, as we previously looked, that it's, it's very difficult, the scripture says, as Jesus is teaching again his disciples, and he says to them, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And thus a story is played out here for us. That this individual was infatuated with himself. Had no time for God. I doubt he was buried in a Rolls Royce. But the story is true. Are we living for ourselves? And now turn back to James. Seeing we have this illustration, now we need to see what James is saying here. Remember, as we have shared many times before, the book of James is about maturing in Christ. And the evidences of that that we have been going through are what we are to be focusing on. Chapter 1, trials and tribulations produce in us a maturing process. Chapter 2, the maturing process is evident in how we treat people. Whether rich or poor, are we showing partiality? The end of chapter 2 deals with the fact of what are we doing so that people can see us and declare that this individual must belong to God. In chapter 3, it begins by highlighting the fact that the tongue is uncontrollable. Then it goes into the wisdom of earth and the wisdom of man. And then last week, as we, well, two weeks ago, as we looked at the fact that Individuals were talking about, I'm going to do this, I'm going here, I'm going to be doing that, when they should have been focusing on, is, is it God's will? So in chapter 3, what has happening is they forget the words of God. And they forget the wisdom of God. And in chapter 4, they forget the will of God. And now in chapter 5, they're forgetting God all along. Did you see the progression of what it means when you begin to live for oneself? You forget God's words. And you use your tongue the way you want to. You forget God's wisdom. And you focus on the wisdom of the world. You forget God's will and you begin to do what you want to do, and pretty soon, chapter 5, 1 to 6, you forget God all along. You focus on one thing and one thing only, yourself. Let's read these six verses in chapter 5 to, to set the stage of what we mean. It says, Come now, 
you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. And he does not resist you. The issue is that not all rich people are going to come under the judgment hand of God. The issue is a warning from James concerning living life for only self-gratification. We're introduced to the call against self-gratification in verse 1 by some interesting terms. Weep. Howl. Those are terms that are associated with repentance. James is calling for these individuals that he's writing to to repent before the time is too late. Keep your eyes off of your own pleasures and be aware that there is going to come a judgment day. In fact, it even says miseries that are coming upon you. One of the grave reasons, or one of the great reasons, that we should be maturing in Christ, as we've mentioned this before, is that in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, we we are warned of the fact that we are going, we meaning believers in Christ, are going to have to stand before God and give an account of the things that we have done with the things that we have. In 1 Corinthians 3, things are going to be stacked up. And then God's going to touch them to fire. And what is gone was wood, hay, and stubble. That's loss. That's gone. And all that will be will be gold, silver, precious stones, jewels. To be given back to Jesus Christ. In worship and adoration. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it highlights it even greater when it does say that we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. James is warning these people that you need to repent, weep, and howl. Not only that, but when all is said and done, when when you come to stand before the Lord, 
What is going to be your answer concerning the use of your resources? I want to tweak this a little bit because sometimes when we come to a passage and we begin to read it, we can always say to ourselves, well, I'm not rich, so this passage don't apply to me. (laughs) Well, that's one choice you can make. But the other choice is just as valid. In fact, I think it's better. Because what if the passage speaks of what do you do with your time? What are you doing with your family? What are you doing with your witness to your neighbors, co-workers? And so don't Don't lull off into a spiritual stupor. Because the passage, though it is in reference to the rich, and you say, have you seen my checkbook lately? But there are other things that God has blessed us with in riches. We've been given a story to tell. And are we hoarding it? Because that's what this individual was doing. Notice not only the call, but the corruption that leads to self-gratification. The individual was involved in hoarding. He was keeping back. He wasn't meeting his obligations. It says that his riches are corrupted. His fancy garments are moth-eaten. His gold and silver are corroded. And they are a witness against you. When I was on a student at Lancaster Bible College, I was also part of the Conestogans, the traveling choir. And in one of my journeys, I believe it was my senior year, we were ministering up in the New England states, and I had the privilege, me and four other individuals had the privilege of staying in a home of an individual who invented the way to to take out salt from seawater and use it. We walked into his mansion, and he and his wife, it was a mansion. When you walk in, there was a full-size painting of the missus and a full-size painting of the mister. And you were greeted with a huge staircase that took you upstairs and divided As college students, we were pretty impressed. We wondered if we were going to have 15 cents to be able to get a cup of coffee when we get home. And we stayed, I stayed in this house. Impressed as I was, all of a sudden something happened. The missus had asked us if we would like to to have a snack. Oh, you betcha. 
I'm figuring prime rib, medium rare right now. But as we, she, she asked us to come into the kitchen, and, and as we went around the hall into the kitchen, we were greeted by one of the most hoarding experiences I'd ever seen in my life. Prime Lib all of a sudden vanished from my mind. They offered us a, a glass of milk until the, the missus started to pour the milk and it came out in chunks. Wonderful, godly people. But it all in all, it was a mess. Jesus reminds us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, in verses 19 to 21, some interesting words that deal with this particular issue. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. These individuals here in and James, these ones who are called you rich, their focus was totally on this earth and what they could gain. And James is calling them to change. May I ask you a question? Where are your eyes focused? Where's your treasure? If you determine to build your treasure here on this earth without any regard to what God would have us to do, Jesus and James tells us it's all going to fade away. It's a corruption of self-gratification. Where your hearts and eyes are focused, that's where your energy will also be. The third thing that we see in this passage of James is there's a casualty of self-gratification. Notice what they were, what this individual was doing, or individuals were doing. They were cheating those who desperately needed their help. Uh, 
They should have known that in Leviticus chapter 19 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses laid out specifics of what they are to do in order to provide for their workers. Usually we get a or we get a paycheck either weekly or bi-weekly, but back then they needed the money every single day. They didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have freezers, but they had hungry children and an expectant wife. And they were to be paid after every day's work in order that they could go to the market and purchase the things that they needed to take home to provide for the needs of the family. Those were specific rules and laws laid out by Moses. And these individuals should have known that. But with that, when they did withhold, when they cheated the poor, Moses reminded them that there would be consequences to that. Those who were being cheated, it says, cried out to the Lord of Sabaoth. And he's hearing the cries. If you want to do an interesting study on the names of God, this will be one that will catch your attention. The Lord of Sabaoth. Literally, it means the controller of the armies of heaven. And when the controller or the God of the armies of heaven hear the cries, you know that he's got power enough to take care of the situation. And can I say this with all due respect to all of you, that we have the greatest gift to give to our neighbors and our friends. And if we are withholding it from them, we are cheating them of what God wants them to know. This puts this whole passage in a different light, doesn't it? I mean, we can garner this church building with some of the most beautiful things in the world. But if we are not inviting our unsaved friends, unsaved family members, unsaved neighbors, unsaved co-workers, if we are not inviting them to Jesus Christ, then these things will all pass away. And there will be a witness of deadness. They'll be moth-eaten. They will be corrupted. They will corrode away. And all that will be left is an empty shell of what once could have been. And the casualty of greatest need is this. Individuals will very well enter into a Christless eternity without even knowing Jesus Christ. 
the consequences of self-gratification is this. Is that the innocent people become nothing more than pawns for power. Proverbs 22, verse 16, interestingly gives us this warning, he who oppresses the poor to increase his riches will surely come to poverty. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 5, God says, I will come in judgment. And, and that's what these individuals were facing. The very judgment of God, because it says the miseries are coming upon you. In other words, the the commander of the armies of heaven aren't going to let this situation just float by. He's going to deal with it. And their loss will be a shame and a witness to what once they could have had. And they let it go. The other interesting phrase is that you have fattened yourself for the slaughter. If you haven't gained it by now, but James is, 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 is pretty interesting in the fact of how he alludes back to principles of the Old Testament. Well, why not? Because remember who he's writing this letter to. The twelve tribes were scattered. They would know this stuff. They would be aware of the fact when James says, you are fattening yourself up for the slaughter. They knew. They would have known that God's judgment was about to come upon them. Remember, God instituted the nation of Israel for the purpose of telling the known world at that time who he is. And they were to live like that. They were to live as if God was right there with him, which by the way he was. He met them in the temple. He met them in the tabernacle. He was there. And, he, and the nation of Israel was to be used by God to direct other nations to him. But they forsook that. And they began to chase after other gods of the land. And what did God do? Put them in judgment. They had fattened themselves up for the slaughter. One of the things of this world that, that bother me the most, it's not who's running for president, I could care less. 
I know that I'm voting for the one who stands on the word of God. I don't care who's in the Super Bowl. I know the Giants aren't going to be there, so I don't really care. I don't care who wins the World Series. I don't care who wins the NBA championship. I really don't care. But the thing that I do care about is this, dear people. Is that has, have we as believers in Christ become so spiritually fat with facts and we forget our call? James would tell us, weep and howl. I will guarantee you one thing is that when we stand, when a believer person stands before Jesus Christ on that great judgment day, it's not going to be about whether we're going to make it into heaven or not. It's going to be about what we receive in order to give back to Jesus. Rewards. Crowns. But the one thing we are not going to have to give a judgment on is, do I know all 66 books of the Bible in order? Do I know? No. It's, what have I done? And that's what James is warning us today. Are we using our tongues in the way of honoring Jesus Christ or have we forgotten God's words? Are we operating under the wisdom of heaven or are we following the wisdom of the world? Are we more concerned about our will instead of the will of God. And ultimately, have we forgotten God all along? James isn't willing to give up on these that he highlights as rich. He says, weep and howl. Repent. Come back. Come back to the truths of Scripture. Come back to the purpose that God has saved us for. Come back. And delight in the things of God. Then, we will begin to mature. Let's pray. Loving Father, I'm I am so thankful and so grateful for your forgiving grace. And here this morning, maybe from the words that James penned, from the words that Jesus spoke, maybe we've been awakened to things that we've got to get back doing.
I pray, O oh God, that you would continue to use your word by your spirit to bring about in us a change. A dynamic change whereby things of this earth don't mean much anymore. We're called to take people to heaven. Because everything else stays here. And so may we, O oh Lord, maybe this afternoon some of us get before you and weep and howl and ask for forgiveness that we have forsaken what you've called us to do. May we be living sacrifices for you. May we be lights and salt intended for the use of the Master in order to direct individuals to the wonderful grace that is in Jesus Christ. May you, O oh God, bring about a change in all of us that which will honor you. And I praise you and thank you in your name. Amen.